want to say greetings. Good to see you today. Greetings from my wife. She couldn't be here. Uh, she's with our three, fours, and fives that we do at church. Couldn't leave them alone. Not those three, fours, and fives. Well, we could have. Wouldn't have been too great. But Tina says hello. Greetings from our daughter, Danielle. You've probably seen her since I have. Uh, she's traveling all over this summer and um, with a ministry team that she's in charge of to camps and uh, really enjoying uh, what God is doing in those places, even though we don't see her very much. Well, this morning, as we continue in this service, you know, six months ago, I think it was, when Pastor Chuck emailed me and said, Hey, Kim, would you fill in for me on June 27th? Rex and I are both going to be gone, and it's in the middle of the winter, and that's June's a long way away. And you go, Yeah, sure. No problem. I'd be happy to help you out, Pastor Chuck. And then when it gets here, you think, oh, wow, I said yes to that. But God has been working in my heart in a very familiar passage of Scripture. The problem when we go to very familiar passages of Scripture is the fact that we often miss so much because we've read it so many times before. And so I just want you to think about that today. And not to be in a rush. Will you pray with me? God, you're here. People do not need words. They don't need my words. My words are empty. But we do need to hear from you. So I would just pray this morning, oh God, that you would come and you will speak whatever it is that each individual needs. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've all been in a grocery store or a toy store or a department store when there was a child and a parent. You already know where I'm going. Those lovely little children. And there in the store, this particular child sees something that He or she needs. That's the key word. They need this. And you can almost see this scenario playing out. You almost know what's going to happen before it happens. Except there are certain levels of this scenario, depending on the nature of the child and the nature of the parent. Now, if the parent happens to be someone who doesn't like conflict, They melt. Not too many parents are like that. On the other side, there's the Attila the Hunt approach, which you won't need anything until you're 21 and you can buy it, so forget it. And then there are all the degrees of parenting in the middle of that. And we laugh at that and we kind of know what's going to happen in the midst of some of those situations. However... If we're really honest with ourselves this morning, we recognize in that child our selfishness, our sinfulness. We recognize that we are born with wanting our own way. We like things the way we like them. We like little boxes. We want order. Now, I'm so glad Robin has all these fish on the wall for me. I feel like I'm at home with the three, fours, and fives, and so I can get carried away. 
I better, I told the first service, taking off that watch means nothing, my wife says. She goes, why do you take off that watch? You never look at it after you take it off. I'm not sure why she would say such a thing. This morning, I want us to think about that simple little illustration, but I want us to think about the tremendous need that we have sometimes, and we justify ourselves, and we give excuses for ourselves, and we don't look at things very realistically. And maybe there are times where our relationship with God is similar to, unfortunately, that child and that, that parent. Well, we're not children. I know that this morning. And we're not in a store. And we're not attempting maybe to get our own way. But not literally, but often, if we're honest with ourselves, we might be there. Now, there are three men in the Bible. There are three men in the Bible that I've been studying. And those three men have a response when life isn't going their way. And most of the time in life, I find myself, when life's not going my way, I want to justify and make excuses. That's my natural bent. That's my sinfulness. But if we are believers and we're walking in the Spirit, yeah, we still do that sometimes. And we're not walking closely to God. But these three men, amazingly, have every reason to question God. They have every reason to wonder why they're in this experience, but they don't default to this wine mode. Now, I'm not talking about W-I-N-E. Some people default to that. I'm talking about W-H-I-N-E. Neither one's a good solution to our problems. Wine. But they didn't. They serve us as tremendous examples of how we are to react as believers in tough, difficult situations. But I don't want to be in those. I don't want to be in rough, tough, difficult situations. I'm going to be. It's life. That's where we are. We don't cause every situation we are in, but we are often in situations which we don't like. Well, by now, maybe you know I'm talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We could sing those little Sunday school songs, of which we're not teens. You can be thankful. I see you over there. I deal with high school students all the time. I told a lady this morning, I got in church, and there is this lady, a good friend of mine, and she's sitting back there clear in the back of the church on her cell phone. And I said, hey, got to put that thing away. I deal with that in my class all the time. We're not going to text right now. She didn't listen. She made her call anyway, but that's okay. That's okay. But these three men, or maybe you want to call them Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they're Hebrew names. They were friends of Daniel. You know them. You've read the story before. They were the guys in the fiery furnace. Oh, I've heard that a million times. But I want to tell you something today. There's something about the response of these three men that we need to look closely at. We need to look very closely at. And speaking of students, I, just, I thought of this in the middle of the service, Stephen. I thought this is your chance. You've listened to me for how many years and you could actually turn me off. Did you think about that power you had up there? All those times and all those lectures. Stephen's a former student of mine. 
Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in exile. King Nebuchadnezzar, you know all about it. But the story that we're going to look at is found in the third chapter of Daniel, chapter 3. And I'm just going to read sections of it. We don't have time for the whole chapter. But it starts out, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. Now, put it in, into the context of the story. They're in exile. They've been there three years. They're learning the literature and the language. They're eating their own food. And King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he wants the wise men of the kingdom not only to interpret the dream, but tell him what the dream was and then interpret the dream. And everybody says it's impossible. And Daniel prays to his God. And Daniel's delivered. And he's given the information. And he, And now, after all those things, and even King Nebuchadnezzar sort of gives God the glory and the credit for the dream and all that jazz that's taking place, now what's he going to do? He builds this gigantic 90-foot thing that they're all supposed to bow down and worship. So he asks, he summons the satraps, the perfects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. Well, when the king tells you to do something, you do it. And so they went and they did it. And then we always have the thing in the classroom that I dislike the most, the tattletales. Yes, the tattletales. Because you see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't going to bow down to that image. They didn't bow down to the image. But somebody needs to make that right. And so people go running off to King Nebuchadnezzar to tell him he's not exactly a happy camper. And in verse 13, he is furious with rage and Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true? Is it true? Now don't miss it. Don't miss in verse 16 this answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. Now, we all know the fiery furnace. We all know that they heated it seven times hotter. We all know that these men that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that furnace died because it was so hot. We all know that there was a fourth person in there. We all know that they weren't bound anymore. We all know that they came out of there and they didn't even smell like smoke. And it was this gigantic hallelujah of Jehovah God, and rightly so. But look at the words before the fiery furnace. The first thing that those three men said We're not going to defend ourselves 
We're not going to defend ourselves. We're not going to whine. We're not going to complain. I don't know about you. I thought about it seriously. If I had been faced with the fiery furnace and exile from home, the whole nine yards that I had already been through, I might have bowed. I might have caved. I hate to say that, but I might have done that. Just to save my skin. But as we peel back the layers of the answer that these three men gave, there's a progression of faith that is exhibited there that we need to have. The first response shows a great spiritual character. The first response goes far beyond what many times we personally respond because we respond in defense and justification. Our sinful nature usually starts right there. It goes into gear, but these men refuse an excuse. It's just a fact. We're not going to defend ourselves. We serve God. Now, they could have said, we have been separated from our families. We've been taken into exile. We got over here. They wanted us to eat the king's food. There's this dream. We've had to learn a new language. We've had to learn your ways and your literature. God, this isn't fair. I don't like this. It's not fair. King, we've tried to do our best. You know, remember, we're the good-looking. We're the kids from the good households. We have promise. We have it together That's what chapter 1 says. And now this? We're faced with death and a fiery furnace. And by the way, where's Daniel? That's what I would have said. Where's Daniel? He got us into this mess. He's not even around here. What's going on with him? I would at least try to blame somebody else. Okay? No, they didn't. No. Didn't even seem to cross their minds at this point. We just don't need to defend our God. We just don't need to defend ourselves really to you at all, King Nebuchadnezzar. And you know what? Life's not fair. My 21-year-old says, if you say that one more time, Dad, I'm just going to scream. Life isn't fair, and we should not expect it to be fair because we live in a sinful, fallen world, and so bad things are going to happen to good people. They could have said, God, we've been faithful to you. We've even feared for our lives at times, and we just don't deserve this. No, they didn't go there. Some people have said, well, that's kind of an acceptance of the situation. I don't think so. I think it's an acceptance of their God. I think it's an acceptance to know of their faith in someone way beyond them. And a trust that had been developed in them. They knew that God could deliver them. Praise His name. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they learned a phenomenal spiritual lesson along the way. And that lesson Many of us are still struggling to learn that life really isn't about us. I get frustrated with myself and my walk sometimes because I know that my gaze is to be upward. I don't like to do it here, I'm blinded. But the gaze is to be upward, but so often we live on this plane. 
and we can only think about how this event's going to happen and affect us when we should be thinking on a spiritual plane. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego apparently had learned that. You know, life really on this earth is, to, is about bringing honor and glory to his name. Lift up your name, his name. That's what we sang about, the choir sang about. That's what we're to be doing. How many times does it ever strike us? How can I lift up your name, God? How can I lift it up? You know, your walk of faith is, is just, it's peppered with all kinds of perils and problems. But these men didn't allow their selfishness to reign. Wow. But it doesn't stop there. It gets better. It gets better. Their next response to the king, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, if we are, the God we serve is able. The God we serve is able. Now, those men knew Nebuchadnezzar. They saw his anger. They had heard what he said. They knew that it was seven times hotter than before. They knew. But our God's able. Our God's able. Sometimes you need to get a hold of yourself and remember our God is able. Your God is able. Believe him. Trust him. He's the only one you can. Okay? Because he was sovereign when I got up this morning, and the only thing that I know for sure tomorrow morning is that he is going to be sovereign. I might not wake up, but he is going to be sovereign, and he's going to be in control. But so often we live on this plane. We live there. We live there. Understand that. God understands that. But he wants us to move forward. Well, their second response then is that. Do we believe that God is able, that he's able, that he's more than able, the song says, to take care of our concerns for today? He is. It just reminds me of this worship song for the last three weeks that I've just just playing over and over and over again in my mind. It's a little, the little chorus goes, it's in all of my life, in every season, Maybe it's because I'm getting older and I'm reflecting on the seasons of my life. But in all of my life, in every season, you are still God. And I have a reason to sing. And that's the reason. I don't know what season of your life that you're in and what struggle you're in. As I look across seas of faces, I'm reminded of times of great struggle in some of your lives. I look out there at people who we prayed for that we didn't think that you were long for this world and God intervened. I look out into the faces of people who may have gone through a terrible, terrible separation or financial disaster in your life. But you were committed to, I have a reason to sing, and that that reason is that he's still on the throne. He's still God, and that hasn't changed. Well, these men, God had allowed Ashpenaz, that servant, to give them the right type of food. God had answered the dream problem. They've grown in their faith. They've trusted God. God can do this, they say. He can deliver us from the fiery furnace. We believe that he can He's unlike any other. And Nebuchadnezzar, you really should know that by now. Now, I would have said that. They didn't say that. 
They had a very clear testimony. They said only what needed to be said. We could learn a lesson there. I could. My wife's not here. I'll say amen for it. She would say, okay, you don't need to say anymore. God can take care of that. Clear testimony in the midst of the difficulty. I think they realized that life wasn't about them, and it was about faith, and they were going to honor God, and they were going to trust God. And they didn't say, why me? My mentor, my pastor, when I first was a student intern, still we are very good friends, and his wife was diagnosed this past January, early January, with a brain tumor. And that brain tumor was a brain tumor that was not encapsulated, but it was a brain tumor that had fingerlings. And that means that to try to take that brain tumor out, it, you can try, but it's going to be very, very difficult, and you don't know what things you're going to hurt. And their, their choice after prayer was to not to go through the surgery. And so in a couple of months, uh, our friend Joy passed to heaven. And as I was reading Chuck's journal, um, he talked about how people often say, why me? And he had learned through this experience to say, why not me? Why not me? I live in a sinful, fallen world. We have frail bodies. We all are going to pass into eternity. So I should respond not so much, why me, God, but why not me? The world, this world isn't our home. Are we living like it? That this is our home? No, that's our home. We're passing through here. If we get too in love with this place, then we begin to respond in the wrong way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't there. Say that fast three times. Well, I don't know if you're in the fiery furnace this morning or on the brink of one or just came out of one or I don't know. But I want you not to despair because God hasn't forsaken you, even though you may feel like it this morning. He's entrusting you. He's entrusting you to bring honor and glory back to him in the midst of the trial. That's scriptural. That's how we're supposed to live. But the best is the third response. It's unbelievable when you really think about it. They said to the king, but even if he, God, does not, even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods. We won't do it. We're trusting him. Our future is secure in him. And if he doesn't take us out of the situation, we know we can still trust him. We don't know all the hows and we don't know the whys or any of that. But we know we can trust him. Wow, I want to live like that in every circumstance. Every circumstance. That is phenomenal. Many of us pray like that illustration, that scenario that I started out with. The kid with the parent in the store. And we kind of plead, and we cajole, and we pout, and we cry, and 
Sometimes the little temper tantrum. Oh, not you. No, that's me. You wouldn't do that. And you know, we end up praying for deliverance. And we should. We should. But we end up praying for deliverance only. Instead of grace and victory in, within the circumstance that we're in. And you know what? In the middle of that, then God becomes a God. That's, he's a good God when we get what we want. Or he's good if it works out our way. Shame on us. God is good all the time. God is good all the time. And when I look at some of the, the sea of your faces today, I, I, I'm even taken aback because I know some of the things that you've gone through and are going through. But it's true. God is good. And he's good all the time. And sometimes he delivers us. And sometimes he gives us grace to go through the fire. But you know what? He is always there. He is there. And sometimes we reach a point and we become so discouraged and we become despondent and we think he's not there. And that's a trick of Satan. He is with you. He will never leave you nor never forsake you. He will be with you. I've been reading Randy Alcon. Alcorn's book. He's the guy that writes about heaven. But he wrote a book entitled, If God is Good. And that was really intriguing to me. And I read these words, and I'm going to quote him. He wrote, Some people hold tenaciously to a faith that their child will not die. That their cancer will disappear. That their spouse will recover from a stroke. Do they have faith in God or faith in what they desperately want God to do. I read that this spring. It was right after a moment where Danielle had come home and she says, Dad, I really believe God's calling me to, to be on this um, ministry team this summer. And, and I was super excited about that when God's working in your kids' lives. And and which means I'll travel all summer. And I thought, yeah, that's great. Great experience for ministry as God is moving in her life. And then you know what I thought? I thought, man, it's a lot of road time. What if they're in an accident? I know better than that. Started thinking about things of this world, not things of that world. I was so under conviction about that. And I thought to myself, no, God said to me, you dedicated her 21 years ago and she's mine. Lily is his. Praise his name. And you're entrusted with that wonderful gift. But Lily's his. Her children are his. And you know what? I, I would be amiss to say I would be overwhelmed with grief. But I want to tell you something. We want our people, we want our children to do what God is calling them to do. No matter what. Some of you have given your children to the mission field. 
Okay. So that struck me. And he goes on to say, these three young Hebrew men trusted and obeyed God, knowing that he could deliver them from the fire and asking him to do so. They asked him to deliver them, but realizing that he might not. Because God sometimes chooses to heal in a supernatural answer to prayer. Still, all who pray for healing should affirm, like Daniel's friends, that they will worship and they will honor and they will obey God even if he does not do what we would choose. God is God. Circumstances change, but God is still God. And I know the end result is a good one, even when the process stinks. Because some of you are getting, you're in the process of getting there. And it's not easy right now. But life isn't about us, remember. It's about giving honor, glory, lifting up our hands in the midst of the circumstance and giving that to God. And I can honestly say there have been a few times in my life where I've done that. And what joy, what faith, the, the fiery furnace and how God worked all that out and not even singed. And there have been other times in my spiritual walk where my faith was strong and I believed for deliverance. But there have also been times in my spiritual walk when I think I have whined and cajoled and pouted, and I was like that child in the store with God. Because see, at that moment, life was all about me. I want to face, and I want you to face every trial with, even if God doesn't do as I desire, I will serve him. I will trust him. He reigns. He reigns. Life will not always turn out as we wish. But Jehovah God is the God of Jacob and Isaac and Joseph and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes I get things a little out of perspective usually happens when I'm physically drained or emotionally drained or spiritually drained. Or it happens when I'm hurting. Or it happens when I'm angry or I'm depressed or I'm sad. I don't want to be a circumstance-driven Christian. I want to be a God-driven one. Because that's where the real impetus of faith And that's where you can be influential in a world that needs Christ so desperately. As you walk dark valleys with his light. I want to give you an opportunity to pray this morning. You knew the story. You didn't need my words. But I just trust that God has spoken to your heart. And and he can meet your need right where you are this morning. But I believe in the altar. I use it as a place just where I can meet God. And so you know that these altars are open for you this morning. 
And it, you might need to pray about something that I didn't even touch on this morning. And we're not going to spend a lot of time and I'm not going to. I just want God's way. I just prayed for the service and I know that God, I know he's faithful. I know. And this is the message. May the Holy Spirit speak whatever truth that is. But one thing that I've learned as I've gotten older, I've recognized how much I need the Lord, but I've recognized how much I need the church. There have been times when I couldn't pray for myself. Somebody prayed. And you might be right there this morning, but wherever you are, he's here. He reigns. He's going to be here tomorrow. You can trust him. You can trust him. Would you stand with me? Bow just silently this morning as Edgar sings just a little bit. And I invite you, if you need to pray, maybe it's right there, but maybe you need to come. Maybe you need to thank him. Maybe you just need to say, Lord, you know, I've been kind of childish. I I need an acceptance of what I'm going through, even though I know you can deliver me. Even if you don't, I want to bring praise and honor and glory to your name. And I need your help to do that.